Welcome to episode 100 of Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and this episode is our last, at least for now. We are ending as we began, with Tolkien, because this is, above all, a show for nerds. In this episode, Winston and I talk about the Silmarillion, the, uh, I guess, mythological compendium prequel to Lord of the Rings. I think you'll enjoy this episode whether or not you've read the book or are familiar with Tolkien's mythology, and especially if you've listened to other episodes of the show. On the other hand, if you've never listened to an episode of Pairing before and are just a Tolkien fan, I think this episode is, strangely, a great place to dive in. There's lots more to listen to afterwards. The episode is fairly spoiler-free, but again, if you want zero spoilers, maybe go read it. It might take you a while, but it's good, I promise. Okay, I have a lot of people to thank. Let's start with our patrons. As of the release of this episode, we have had almost 60 patrons who have contributed financially to pairing and thus made the show possible. First of all, to our current producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Rebecca Joy Henrietta White, Rachel Berman, Yara Levy, and Michael Beck. If it's okay, I'm going to single a few of you out. I'm going to do it whether it's okay or not. Whoops, sorry. First, to Rena Sarame, who has been with us since we first launched the Patreon. Rena, your enthusiasm is infectious, and I'm so grateful for all of your support through pairing and everything else. To Emma Cohen, who also happens to be my best friend, who I've known for, I believe, now 30 years, three-time pairing guest, and has been a patron nearly as long as Rena. Emma, I love you so much. Zoo Yorker, you've been with us nearly as long, and I am blown away by your support. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I also want to thank Serena Ortiz, who is the champion at sending me personalized pairing requests. I love how you've challenged me. It's been awesome. Also, to my mom and stepdad, who have been patrons pretty much the whole time. Thanks for, you know, everything. I also want to shout out a few patrons who are no longer with us on the Patreon, but whose generosity and engagement made this possible. First, to Mara Zobrist. You are awesome, and Winston had so much fun doing song covers for you. Second, Alison Turi, your support and engagement mean the world. Lastly, and mostly, I want to thank Michael Beck, whose support, engagement, and cheerleading of pairing on the Patreon and on social media was truly mind-blowing. Michael, thank you so much from the bottom of both my and Winston's hearts. Okay, I've got a few other folks to thank. First, to my friend and one of the only four-time guests on pairing, John Paul Sorelli. You not only heard John Paul on our Halloween, Cats, and King Kong episodes, but he was a longtime patron, helped me with transcripts, and was just generally a huge source of support. To the folks at Multitude, and especially Julia Shafini, who helped me edit many episodes of Pairing, your guidance and assistance and sharing of Pairing were invaluable as I was starting out. To my friends from Wolf 359, and especially to Zach Valenti, who helped guide me through the ins and outs of making and producing a podcast. To Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey, who made the amazing artwork for our logo that encapsulates pretty much everything about me. Thank you so much. I also want to thank my friends in the wine community. 
I didn't get enough of you on here, but maybe that's something to look forward to if we ever bring pairing back. And speaking of, thank you to all of our guests. So many of you gave so much of your time talking with me, and that blows me away too. Pairing wouldn't be what it is without our dynamic guests, so thank you, thank you, thank you all. Last, but of course not least, thank you to my partner in more ways than one, Winston Shaw. We talk about it a little in this episode, so I won't get too sappy or romantic, but I had the idea for this podcast years before I actually started making it. It is not an exaggeration at all to say that I never would have made it without Winston's support and encouragement and microphone. Winston, I love you. Thank you for being on this journey with me. And speaking of, thank you to every single one of you for being on this journey with me. Anyone who listened, sent me an email, or engaged on Twitter or Instagram, thank you. I never would have gotten this far without the support and engagement you've all gifted me with. If I could invite you all over to share a bottle of champagne, I would do it. Here's to you. Oh, and I almost forgot, to my studio manager, Queen, who was also the model for the logo artwork, and to my editing assistant, Kiki. They always kept me on task or distracted me, whichever I needed them to do. Best podcasts ever. All right, that's enough, Emma. Let's get to the episode. Without further ado, here is episode 100 of Pairing, The Silmarillion, with Emma Sherjarko and Winston Shaw. Well, hello. It's episode one hundred. One hundred episodes. One hundred episodes. That's a big deal. It's a lot. We did a lot. Yeah. We've done a lot. Yeah. This may be all we do, or we may do more one day. But I feel good about what we've created and put out there. Yeah. What a way to enter into an episode. <laughs> Yeah. It's a monument. To it is well your sheer sticktuitiveness. <laughs> if nothing else, pairing is a monument to my sticktuitiveness. And it's a monument to you, all of our listeners, who yeah. w- literally without you, we certainly would not have come this far. Mm-mm. I would not have started the podcast without you, Winston. Me. You were the one who really made this happen. No. So thank you. First and foremost. Oh, thank you. I've been incredible. It's been incredible watching you teach yourself all, all the editing. Yeah, and... yeah. There's been there's been uh, some learning curves. Yeah. Uh, that have occurred, but um, I'm just incredibly grateful that we had this experience yeah, and for people who supported us. And... Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's wild. It's wild. And I I will have recorded an intro to place before this. Thanking all of the the people who have really made the pairing possible. So I'm going to refrain right now from doing that again because <laughs> people don't want to listen to it twice. Yeah, mu- music swell. Yeah, exactly. Get off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but so here we are, and it's episode 100. And I have been planning at least since I decided that episode 100 was going to be the last for now, that it only makes sense to end as we began. 
And you all know I'm a big old nerd. If that's uh, if there's anything you learned from this podcast, it's that. Yeah. You may have learned some things about wine along the way. I hope you did. But uh, the 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 main thing you probably learned is that I I I am a I am a huge nerd, and um and I'm proud of that. And so we're going to be talking about the Silmarillion. Cool. And the way that I want to structure this episode is not like. Going through each chapter because that would take many, many, many hours. Right. Um, the Silmarillion, in case you're not familiar, is a kind of compilation text, basically, of the mythology of Middle Earth that Tolkien created, J.R.R. Tolkien created, but never published before his death. So his son Christopher kind of edited everything together because he wrote many many different iterations and versions of each of these stories i know this because i've read a lot of his like drafts and writings and stuff because i was i was that kind of tolkien nerd um so there's there's a lot of like differentiation some of like a a lot of his mythology part part of what's so cool about tolkien is he kind of takes a little bit from a whole bunch of different traditions and then makes it very much his own. So right. you'll see in some earlier versions like of certain stories, it's like, oh, this is very much just he took this story from this tradition. Mm. And then, but as it is in the Silmarillion, is a little different. So anyway, you were going to say something. I well, no, off. it's just, it's like, um, almost like the lives of the saints or something. Or yeah. Like the, uh, the Hadith and Islam, you know, they're like, it's the stories everyone's referencing that they all, everyone in the world knows. Yeah. But you only get glimpses of. Um, yes. <clears throat> until, you know, you you get, you know, it's like in uh, in Excalibur and they're knighting people. They're like, uh, in the name of God, St. Michael and St. George, you can hear, you're like, what's St. Michael? And yeah, who's St. Michael? You read about that. Right, and, and right. And Silmarillion is kind of that, right? Yeah, and, and in Lord of the Rings... You get a lot of the reference. There are a lot of references to things that are in the Silmarillion that might go over your head because why would you know the lore of this world in such depth unless you read this book? Right. So, and just just as a little frame of reference, the Lord of the Rings, the the events of the Lord of the Rings are one paragraph in this book, <laughs> in this like three hundred page, yeah, three hundred and. I didn't know they actually deal with the the events of the Lord. Well, of the there's like there's like an epilogue. There's two epilogues. So the Silmarillion is mostly dealing with the events of the first age mm-hmm. of Middle Earth, and Lord of the Rings is the very end of the third age. Mm. So basically, the most of the Silmarillion is the first age. Then you've got. Two different epilogue kind of things, which are, uh, what what do they call it? It's the fall of Numenor, but oh look, there's a there's a four leaf clover from my mom in here. Oh, it's my mom's last day directing Greenwood Music Camp, which she has run for forty years. So this is also I don't think she's gonna listen to this episode, but mom, this is for you. Yeah. Um. And she's not gonna diminish and go into the west. She's no, just, no, she's just gonna no. Hang out she's now. just gonna hang out. Well, hopefully she won't diminish, but she'll come west more often. Yeah, that'd be yeah. Nice. <laughs> oh yeah, we're west because we're west. west. Yeah, um, Akalabeth is what it's called in 
in this book. What is? Uh, the Fall of Numenor. Oh. So that's Aragorn's, his his ancestors. The, and... the, the island of the Himbos. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> the island of the Himbos. Um, okay, but before I get too ahead of myself, when it comes to like the wine pairing stuff for this, and in terms of how we're going to talk about this, I don't want to get into a ton of detail, but I want to give kind of broad strokes of some of the important themes, imagery, some characters that really stand out to me. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I haven't planned a whole ton of wine pairing stuff. I'm hoping some stuff comes up naturally, organically, that after 99 episodes, I have the ability to do that. But I'm, uh, But I want to talk a little bit about Tolkien is kind of the closest thing I have to a religious text, and I think a lot of people feel the same way. I'm not that that intense about it. But there's like there's a connection, there's a sacredness to the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings to me that I don't feel about most other things. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mass Effect now. But um <laughs> Yeah. But cuz I'll be like, "Hey, I want to watch Lord of the Rings." You're like, "No, I don't know if I I'm can't handle right it right now." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the right spiritual vibration. I'm sorry. It's just as very like I used to watch I used to watch The Fellowship of the Ring every week or at one of one of the movies, but it was mostly Fellowship of the Ring that I watched so many times. And so now I'm like when I watch it, I'm 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 committing to an emotional experience. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, so we're gonna talk sort of in broad strokes. Okay. Hopefully. So, and oh yeah, and the point I was making is so if you know these works are formative to my spiritual, psychological, energetic life, uh, what would my wine philosophy be? And okay. I think I think you know we've talked a lot about it over the course of ninety nine episodes, but I'll try to touch on some stuff as we go through and see if I can connect it to this book. We'll see. Uh, all right. All right. Let's see. Let's. That's the challenge. Shoot. Let's do it. Okay. So to start out, um, I wanted to talk about some of the important imagery. So to the the Silmarillion starts out with the creation of the universe, mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things about Tolkien's world, he obviously, he was Catholic, um, but he, so he kind of has both a monotheistic and a pantheistic religion going on. Um, so like there is Eru Iluvatar who created the world, but after the, after that happens, Mm -hmm. we kind of don't deal with him ever again, Mm -hmm. um, except at the very end. But, um, but then it becomes about the Valar who are the gods who live on earth, who very much have some equivalence to like Greek gods and mm. um, probably some Norse gods as well in there. But one of the things that I think is the most brilliant themes and ideas in all of Tolkien's work is that Eru Iluvatar created the world through music. Aww, and I think that. that's I think that's a beautiful, beautiful idea, beautiful concept. And then there's this dude Melkor, who's the OG bad guy. Mm-hmm. He's basically Lucifer because he's one of the angels, but then he falls from grace, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's very. He's, it's, he's not one of the Valar. Or he is. He is at first, but now he's no longer considered one of them because. Oh, okay. But he is one of the ones that is sent down to. Middle Earth, essentially, they call it Arda, and I might I might get some stuff wrong. It's been like 
four or five years since I've read The Silmarillion. Yeah. I used to read it like once a year. I was that kind of nerd. So I'm, I'm hoping I have enough retention. But anyway, I think uh, that is the coolest creation myth. And um, as I wrote here, a good wine is like a symphony. Oh, no. I think that's true. But yeah, the whole the whole scene is like they're creating this beautiful angelic music and then Melkor comes in with like this dissonant tone. Like, yeah, he's like rocking out. Yeah, I <laughs> I described Melkor created some descriptions for some of these characters. Uh, Melkor is a punk ass <laughs> bastard. bastard. He's a punk ass bastard. Um, <laughs> you know, like Actually, I want to get the story from Melkor's perspective because I bet he was actually pretty cool before, you know, he was rejected by his dad and his siblings. And, you know, maybe if they just listened to him, yeah, might have been cool. Anyway, so there's that. Uh, uh, fun side note, I met uh, like uh, some attorney guy and I was talking to him and I mentioned somebody named lucero and he was like oh yeah because uh you know it actually comes from the same root word as lucifer which means light bringer and i was like i was like oh i'm a big fan of lucifer yeah yeah <laughs> and the guy was like, oh. <gasps> I, was like yeah. yes. I was like yeah he was the first person to stand up to management yeah <laughs> for sure for <laughs> the sure. person was like oh yeah yeah harumph, we, harumph, 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 harumph. anyway we'll get back to that but speaking of light, one another image and kind of theme that you'll see throughout Tolkien's work is the importance of trees. Mm. Um, Tolkien was a notorious, notorious? Yeah, sure. Notorious environmentalist. Um, and so he has a lot, he emphasizes the importance of nature and trees specifically many times throughout his work. I mean, there's the white tree of Gondor. In the Lord of the Rings, which, sorry, neighbor's truck, bane of my. Oh, I thought it was thunder. It oh, maybe it is thunder. thunder. Well, thunder's okay. Um, that's just you know dramatic emphasis. Okay, <laughs> uh, but the White Tree of Gondor is a descendant of the original two trees of Valinor. Valinor is where all the Valinor's like both both a physical place and kind of heaven. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Again, it's kind of this intersection of monotheistic and kind of more pagan yeah. like like Judeo-Christian and more pagan. Yeah, cuz traditions. That's, that's very like Celtic mythology too is like totally. in the mist you can go to the fairy realm or whatever. Yeah. So like you can walk there, but it's also not on the it, same. Yeah, it's hard, it's hard to get to. You have to sail a boat there, but if you sail the boat there, you can get there. Right. Or you die and go there. But right. um and it's uh, the um he and C.S. Lewis were contemporaries, right? Mm -hmm. And C.S. Lewis has heaven like very much the same way like the yeah. the voyage of the dawn treader ends with the english children basically getting in yeah. a rowboat and rowing until they meet aslan on like the far shore yeah. or something yeah yeah there's also a lot of like arthurian yeah and like yeah going that. to avalon yeah and, for yeah. sure yeah generally speaking cs lewis his kind of uh metaphors are much more heavily rooted in Christianity and um Yeah. I mean he's he's like a Christian theologian. Yeah. Well Tolkien was books. more of a linguist who right. and was very interested in many different cultures while also being Catholic, but that's less of his like 
it's less of his animating force. Yeah, something yeah. like that. So anyway, the trees are very important. They're the original sun and moon. Before there's the sun oh. and moon, there are the two trees of Valinor. They have names, the trees? They sure do. <laughs> Funny you ask. Funny you ask. And I totally know them off the top of my head. Telperion and Laurelin oh. are their names. Great. Great names. So yeah, so trees are very important. Um, and this makes me think of in wine, something that is important to me in wine is, you know, the importance of treating the earth well, sustainability. Right. Ter- terroir itself. Terroir right? itself and being kind and good to the earth because a lot of wine production is not kind and good to the earth. So um, we should, you know, I hope I hope I've done a good job of recommending some wines to you over the years of... Uh, winemakers who do very much care about that. It is interesting how um, musical so much, or how Tolkien-esque, I guess, so much of the wine stuff is. I mean, you talked about creating the universe through music. When mm-hmm. when we talk about wine tasting, we talk about notes of this yeah. and notes of that. Yeah. And usually those notes are like natural, you know. Yeah. You know, I, what, even earth is like a, earth, a, I mean, a note, you know. Absolutely. And there's the the finish of a wine, you mm-hmm. know. There's, I mean, it would be movements if it was a symphony. Yeah, but it's yeah, kind of, but there's, there's, there's similarities there's for sure. There's that breakdown of like the mouthfeel is like, what is it? How, how do you describe like the early, middle, and finish of the wine? Uh, the, I mean, that's sort of that's just what you that's say. what you say <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah i mean you could say like on the front of your palate the back of your palate mm-hmm. the middle but but the finish the beginning and the finish that is right so there are very much like a good wine as i said is like a symphony right it's got movements it's got many different components that come together in harmony every once in a while there's that wine though with that punk ass bastard <laughs> that's uh, really cool yeah that's super cool Okay, another another kind of image or important element, mountains. Mountains show up a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a big one in Valinor where Manwe, who's basically, he's basically Zeus. Mm. Um, less, as, as I think, I think Sarah Shackett said, um, Gabrielle Urbina, friend of the pod and uh, frequent guest along with Sarah Shackett um, have been reading and talking about the Silmarillion on Twitter, unbeknownst to them that I would be doing this episode. <laughs> so I'm going to reference some of the stuff that uh, particularly Sarah has said, because she is also a huge Tolkien nerd. And um, and she said something about, like, Manwe is like Zeus, but without the fuck boy. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, there's like, not a lot of running around, turning yourself into peacocks and raping people. No, no, there's really not. It's very the the romance in Tolkien's work is very courtly. Courtly, yeah, yeah, with a couple of exceptions. But yeah, so there's Manwe. Varda is his partner. She's the god of goddess of the stars. Um, I'm not sure if you can draw like a direct parallel to Hera or something with mm. her, but um, she's very much the the one that the elves worship. Mm. Um, I think Hera and Juno. Yeah, uh, is, that's the Roman. Yes, yeah, there's childbirth, marriage. I, I think adjudication. Like oh, she's the law god. Oh, interesting. Uh, or goddess. I maybe making that up. Maybe that's Apollo. Uh, who's Apollo is like order and Dionysus hmm. chaos. I could also be making this up, but I feel like there there is. I mean, 
there is like the judgment of Melkor that happens mm. at least once, if not a couple times. And I do think that, well, Manwe is the ultimate judge, yeah. but. Uh, Juno is like justice, I think, in mm-hmm. the sense that like sooner or later, Zeus, your fuckboy ways are going to yeah. come home to roost. <laughs> like Juno will yep. chase somebody yep. to the ends yep. of the earth. When she really, you know, because she can't do it to Zeus, she's like, well, if you fuck him, I'll mess your life up. Yeah. So justice, like, not being blind, but being, like, wrathful and and determined, I guess. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I don't think there's... My guess would be that if there were a more direct parallel for Varda, it would be more in kind of a Norse or or pagan Celtic tradition. Mm. Um, She feels more like that to me. While... And, you know, in typical Tolkien fashion, like, the male gods are much more important than the female gods. Um, But there is uh, one of my favorites, Nienna, who she's, like, the goddess of sorrow. That's just her whole thing. She's just super sad. And Gandalf, who is one of the Maiar, so he's, like... The Maiar. One step down from the Valar. They're, like, the archangels. Yeah, yeah, totally. And, oh, speaking of trees real quick. Yeah, um, go Back for up. It. Um, in Elden Ring, which I'm now playing, uh-huh. the person who wrote all the the lore, to the extent that it's there is... George R.R. R. Martin. It's George R.R. Martin. Yeah. And, who's very inspired in many ways by Tolkien. For but sure. The main thing in the game is there's the Elden Ring, but also the Erd tree, which is mm. a, a literal golden tree that towers over yeah. everything. Well and there's and is the source of all light. And, and there's grace Yggdrasil and, in the in Right in the world tree. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think the trees a lot of the like I said, he kind of pulls from a lot of different sources, but a lot of it feels very Norse mm-hmm. Norse inspired. But yeah, totally. Um, okay, so the last uh, important imagery I wrote down are jewels because the Silmarillion comes from the Silmarils. And what are the Silmarils? The Silmarils are these three jewels that um, basically are the bomb created by this elf named Feanor. And in many ways, like once you get past the opening, like creation of the world stuff, the stories that happen in this book are mostly about Feanor, his descendants and and or family, including Galadriel. She's like his cousin, niece. I think she's she's his niece. Uh, and Baron and Luthien are in there. Baron and Luthien right? are in it. They are not as directly connected to the Feanor story, but. They come into contact. Actually, they they be, it becomes part of that. The Silmarils kind of tie everything together. Okay. So basically, the idea is he created these jewels, and everybody's like, "Oh my fucking god, these jewels are fucking amazing!" Right. Melkor's like, "I want them," and <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get those. Jewels. I'm gonna get those jewels. So Melkor steals those jewels, and a bunch of stuff happens, and the whole book is like a story of trying to find the Silmarils. Um, and Feanor has seven sons that he makes swear to help him. And some of the sons are better than others. Uh, growing up, I had a huge crush on the oldest son of Feanor, Maedros. Uh, Maedros. Yeah, Maedros the Tall. <laughs> Maedros the Tall. It sounds like a Greek restaurant name. Yeah, yeah, Maedros. <laughs> welcome to Maedros. Yes, welcome Opa. to Maedros. Hey. But yes, uh, so... Or it's like the island next to Mykonos. 
Yes, yes. <laughs> so maybe, maybe some. Oh, yeah, some good Greek wine. That's that's a good hey. one for Acerico for the Sol- has, yeah. has been a big friend of the pod for sure, for sure. Um, also, one of the most ancient wines. Indeed, right? indeed. Which I, is a thing I learned during this podcast. Live. Yes, yes, I remember <laughs> that. Um, Moscofilaro sounds like it could be Mayadros's brother or something. So yeah, so it's it's all about the Silmarils. So um, <laughs> I wrote here, some people treat fancy wine like Feanor and Melkor treat the Silmarils. Ooh. Like the people coming in looking for Camus and Biondi Santi and First Growth Bordeaux and like yeah. stuff like that. It's like the big name wines, uh, Romane Conti. And um, by the way, this is a total sidebar um, at the at the store where I work. The other day, these two like 12 year old girls came in and were talking to me and they were like, excuse me, um, what's your most expensive wine? And I was like, why? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you cannot You've purchase been drinking. it. Yeah, I was like, you cannot purchase this wine. But I was like. It's a, a bottle of Domaine Romane Conti that goes for $2,400. And they were like, I don't even know where that bottle is in wow. the store. <laughs> uh, so I, I do kind of think that that's really cool. And, and I know that, you know, it, obviously it's all through Tolkien's work, all the like sacred artifacts, you mm-hmm. know, Isildur's sword and uh, what's that called? Ardisil or whatever? The, uh, the reforged... Uh, the shards of Narsil. Narsil. But yeah. uh, but the name of the sword reforged is Anduril. Anduril, yeah. Um, but I noticed, like, in wine, you were just talking about how there's, like, the Opus One and, mm-hmm, this, and mm-hmm. the Sacred. And I was just talking the other day about how um, my friend Meg Farrell uh, from college, who's crushing it, um, doing, like, a alt-country kind of rock and roll jazz. Nice, folk. nice. Yeah, she's great. Um, but she, I saw her playing what looked to me like my like touchstone, you know, sacred object of a guitar, which uh-huh. is the cherry red Gibson hollow body, mm-hmm. which is like, it's a Roy Orbison. If you've seen the movie Six String Samurai, mm-hmm. that's the guitar he has. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, basically a hollow body you can plug in and it's electric, but it, you, right. it also has an acoustic resonance from the hollow body. Right. Um, and it's it's just sort of like my... Holy Grail guitar, right? Right. Um, in the same way that you know, some people want the specific kind of flying V, and I have a an Eric Johnson model Fender Stratocaster, which is yeah. no fucking slouch of a guitar in its own yeah. right. But like, I think everyone's always kind of seeking that the sacred object. Well, you know, and, and I that's think a, a fun part of a hobby for sure. But I do think a a big theme in Tolkien is the like corruption of the greed for these objects. Oh, yeah. And so, like, the Silmarils... The Silmarils are not inherently evil, but they do bad things to people with bad intentions. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like the One Ring will corrupt you. Yes, yes. Though the One Ring is inherently evil. Ah, yeah, okay. But, But, yes, I think that's a big theme in Tolkien's work is kind of a criticism or a critique of valuing of material possessions over nature, more, nature and more important things in yeah. life. Um, and he likes artifice, but he hates industry. Yes, very much. I think that's... I, 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 he, he will wax poetic about the beauty of things, the beauty of objects right. and artistry. But, but yeah, industry, no, doesn't like it. He likes, um, he likes his mom and pop shops. That's about it. For sure. 
Okay, so we've already talked about some of these, but after the important imagery, I um, I have now important themes. We've talked about some of them already. I, I mentioned the kind of dichotomy slash blending between the monotheistic and pantheistic traditions. Um, oh, also, I totally derailed us when we were talking about when you had just gotten to mountains. Oh, yeah. Did you have more you wanted to say about uh, that? Oh, ma- the only thing I, sa- I had for mountains is that high, ele- high elevation is a great place to grow grapes. Yeah. And so I'm and, sure they make some nice yeah. wine up on the, that mountain. Yeah. Uh, I'm embarrassed. I'm, I can't remember it. Oh, the Silmaril Mountain. It's interesting because while while very hilly in parts... It looks like that. I mean, it's more of a tower. Britain is not mountainous in the slightest. Maybe though, that's why Though Europe is, it. I guess, the Alps. Yeah. Um, they were aware of the United States. We certainly have... We have mountains. Ma- mountains aplenty here. We do we're sitting on one right now, we as a matter of fact. We are indeed. Um, actually, we're on a high plain, but um, high desert plain. Okay, before we get more derailed, anyway, let me go back sorry. to the monotheism, pantheism yeah, thing. Um, the, the, the idea I, I related this to in wine is um, this idea of old world and new world in... Mm-hmm. Wine, um, you know, that being pretty much old world is Europe, new world is the United States and um, southern hemisphere, basically. Right. Uh, and your Chile's, your Australia's, your yeah, yeah, New exactly. South so America, so Australia, Argentina, New Zealand, um, and and the United States, and the um, the the point I wanted to make here is that. What I like about that is the lines between like old world and new world styles are becoming much more blurred between climate change and just like different winemaking traditions getting crossed over with each other. Old world winemakers going to new world winemaking regions and implementing those practices there. The like stereotypes of of wine that we have from those different regions, the lines becoming much more blurred. This is a cool thing that I've been ex- exploring at at my job with some of the tasting stuff I've been doing. Anyway, it's it's a cool thing. Wine can be cool, uh, but but for for example, I mean, we talked about this last time. I think the foremost example that comes to my mind, well, no, there's a bunch, but Chile, the winemaking in Chile is totally changing. They're definitely going to a much more quote unquote old world style, and what that means is just like usually cooler climate, so a little lighter, um, fresher acidity, more minerality, while the the stereotype of New World wine is like the big Napa cabs mm-hmm. and the oaky Chardonnays, mm-hmm. you know, big, ripe, juicy wines. Um, and that's just not the case as much anymore. So, you know, people come in and say, you know, I want a white wine to go blah, blah, blah. And I say, oh, I think a Chardonnay would be great. They say, oh, no, I hate Chardonnay. I'm like, well, not all Chardonnay is what you think it is. You know, <laughs> Chardonnay. I hate Chardonnay. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. See, that's yeah. That's what I like is the the record store-ness of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate, I hate uh, you, know, you know, blues rock. No, you don't. No, you don't. You just don't know it. Um, would you like some water? You've only ever heard blues travel. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's very uh, nerdy, snob culture, too. It's super snobby, but it is also true because a lot of people have stereotypes. Mm-hmm. that they, It's like it's like rosé. You know, people still think rosé is all sweet. Right. And it, you know, less so now, but... 
But it's definitely, you know, a journey to get people to know that rosé can be and most of it is dry. Yeah. And also, like, uh, to relate it back to uh, musical instruments, like, people will be like, oh, Fender. And it's like, well, American Stratocaster or Mexican Stratocaster. And, and right. that's neither one is better necessarily. It's just about, like, what what about the wood and the pickups and what's everything made of? Yeah. And all that, you know. Absolutely. Intricacies. Absolutely. This one we pretty much just talked about, but I was talking about the blending of different mythologies into something new, into a whole new tradition. Related that to wine, I think. Um, The next theme, I said, family, not always good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As the aforementioned family of Feanor, super toxic and fucked up. Um, But I, I think one thing that Tolkien criticizes again is like blind faith. And following your family, even if what they're doing right. is super fucking stupid. Right. Um, and and he, in a few stories, he has examples of people who break away from that. And one thing I thought about was like, you know what? Good for, you know, the children of winemakers who go and do something else. Yeah. And good for the people who get into wine who had to overcome a whole lot to get into it, you know, and didn't necessarily follow their families traditions yeah i don't know that's like jean-luc picard exactly comes from a winery exactly explore the stars exactly jean-luc picard hero (laughs) um okay so um next we've got the big stories and i've touched i mentioned a few of these but so we've got the valar and valinor we talked about Manwe. Ooh, we didn't talk about Umo. Umo is basically Poseidon. He's okay. the god of the sea. He's awesome. He shows up more than most of the other gods because he's he lives in the sea, and so mm-hmm. he can kind of show up right. in other places. Um, there's Aule, who's like the smith god who created um, the dwarves. Mm-hmm. And then his boo, Yavanna created the Ents because she was like mad that he created the the dwarves dwarves, and she was like they're gonna cut down my trees let me give my trees a voice I love it's a great chapter Nienna is the sad one Orome is like the hunter god pretty much I think Um, Mondos is very interesting he's like the one who controls the halls of the dead so I'm not sure exactly who you'd relate that to, but maybe, maybe like Hades. Hades. Hell. Yeah, hell. yeah. I think um, I think he's the most like Hades mm-hmm. of anybody. And then super confusing. This is something that Gabrielle was talking about the other day. Lorien, who is both a person and a place, <laughs> and yep. and then we get Lothlorien, which is often shortened to Lorien in the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, Virginia. Also, both a name and a place. It's true. It's true. There's then Tulkas, who I don't remember a whole lot about. He's like the warrior god, pretty much, I think. He kind of gives off like a Thor vibe. Okay. Um, big himbo energy. Yeah, big himbo energy. Then, then again, the female gods are get a lot less airtime. Um, but Este, I think she's the god of rest. Love her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I worship Este. Yeah. Um, Vira or Vire. Um, I'm sorry. Vira is the name of a, a wine producer. Oh, <laughs> Vire. I think she's like the weaver. Vana. 
is super pretty, and Nessa, like, dances. So there you go. Women. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, uh, we don't get, I mean, in in The Lord of the Rings, you get, like, three female characters. So four, because you have Goldberry in the books. She didn't make it into the movies. But um, there are more in The Silmarillion, but still very much secondary to a lot of the male characters. Sons of Feanor, we talked about that. Baron and Luthien, the two big, like, the hits, the hits of the Silmarillion are Baron and Luthien and Turin Turinbar. Baron and Luthien, basically predecessor to Arwen and Aragorn. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a man, she's an elf. She's also, she's, her mother is a Maiar, so, or a Maya, so she's like, half angel, half elf. Mm. And and one theme that kind of bothers me as I get older is, like, these awesome, like, immortal, powerful women keep going for these kind of, like, mediocre dudes. <laughs> I mean, I guess Aragorn's not mediocre. But Baron, and neither is Baron, but, like... But the dudes. The dude, like, the women are so much cooler in the relationship. And I feel like, really? That guy? Yeah. You, you gave up everything for him? Like a CBS sitcom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kevin James? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. One of the most beautiful people I've ever seen. Kevin James? Yep, yep, yep. Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, uh, Baron and Luthien. Baron and Luthien is a great story. It's tragic and beautiful there's highs and lows there's a vampire or no there's a werewolf um luthien is basically just a total badass um there's a little uh kind of rapunzel moment in it um yeah it's just it's just a really fun story and then turin turinbar is just straight up tragedy so um i describe turin as emo boy Oh, he's, emo boy. Okay. Yeah, he's super emo boy, but like legitimately has a lot of horrible things happen to him. Um, he there's a dragon in his story. That's that's pretty important. And the OG Smaug. Uh, it's also called Smaug. No, oh. the the dragon's name is Glaurung. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of oof. There's a lot of icky stuff. It kind of feels like kind of feels like. Uh, some stuff that would happen in an opera or something like mm. super tragic. I'm not going to go into it, I was but just there's thinking if you when you were talking about Baron and Luthien, kind of has like a Tristan and Isolde. It does kind of definitely. Vibe, I think I maybe. think I think that's very much an influence. Again, speaking of music, yeah, the Ring Cycle. Yes, the Ring Cycle. My dad has insisted that Tolkien just ripped off the Ring Cycle. I think it's one of the pieces of work that he took from for sure. sure. But. Um, sucks that Wagner was like a Nazi but anyway yeah that does suck yeah but Tolkien fought the Nazis so yeah I'm pretty sure he was not and but yeah Turin Turinbar great story tragic as Mm. fuck like it is the darkest that Tolkien gets Mm. and there's like a bunch of fucked up stuff that happens in that story and there's a um there's a standalone novel that is just about that story called The Children of Hurin, because uh, Hurin is Turin's father, because mm. everybody's name got a rhyme. Got a rhyme. Um, and it's also about his sister. So, uh, yeah. 
it's it's just a huge, huge bummer. And um, one thing I wanted to mention, um, years ago, I was on Spirits talking about the Silmarillion. And I talked, I a, li- I talked a little bit about, yes, thank you, Spirits. Ugh. Thank you, Julie Shafini, for working with me on pairing. Amanda and Eric and everybody who uh, were super, super helpful in getting pairing off the ground. Anyway, sidebar. But when I was talking about Turin... And on that episode, I I knew this. I I had learned this at one point, but I I forgot to mention that it it is very much based on a Finnish myth, mm. um, called the Kalevala, and there is an awesome that's right. awesome that episode yeah. of Spirits um about Kalevala, and it's like a big so, epic, right? Yes, yes, it's a big epic. But yes, uh, there's a lot of similarities hmm. between. So, so and then I think the Shroud of Turin, which is a yes, a, a big Christian deal. It is, but I, I don't. Forget why? I don't <laughs> think I don't think that's really an influence on this particular no, story. No, it happens to be the same. It just word. happens to be the same word. Yeah. Then the last, the last kind of big story. It's not as big as the other two, but um, the Fall of Gondolin. So Gondolin is kind of a predecessor to Gondor in this first age. So but it's a, like a human. No, it's an elven city. Oh, okay. But um, in terms of the description of like what it looks like, it it looks very much like Gondor. It's white. It's white. It's got many layer levels to it. Um, and the only thing I'll say about that is. Um, Glorfindel, our buddy right. who uh, didn't make it into the movies, but is in the books of mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings. He has the Arwen part in Lord of in in Fellowship of the Ring. He's the one, He's who, shows the one who shows up and brings Frodo, mm-hmm, and he brings Frodo to right. to uh, Rivendell. And in one of my favorite movies, The Martian. Uh, oh I yes, think it's Jeff Bridges, <laughs> not Jeff Bridges. No, it's Sean Bean. It's not Sean Bean. Sean Bean's in it, but. Um, the like guy who plays the head of NASA, Jeff Daniels. Oh yeah, is yeah, like yeah. if we're do- if we're going with Lord of the Rings shit, I want to be Glorfindel. Yes, yes. <laughs> I died when we saw that in theaters. I was like, Winston, that's a really nerdy Lord of the Rings joke. And uh, <laughs> demand to be called Glorfindel. Yeah, yeah. Glorfindel is definitely one of those like deep dive Tolkien nerd characters because. Um, because at first, when I first read the Silmarillion, I thought it was a different Glorfindel. Because he does recycle names a couple times. And so I was like, this can't be the same guy. Because, spoilers, he dies in this one. Oh. But part of the thing about dying when you're an elf is, like, after 10,000 years or something, you can come back. Um, They're like, we only made, like, 12 <laughs> models. Yeah. Like the Cylons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so um, I believe, or I have been told... The Glorfindel in Lord of the Rings is the same Glorfindel from this story. So that's cool. Yeah. And that's just one of those kind of deep dive thingies. And then who's the elf who's who like shows up in the Two Towers movie and is is um Galadriel's Oh Haldir? Haldir. Yeah, I mean he's in he's in Lord of the Rings. He's he's just He's just uh, not a big Silmarillion person. He's just there. No, he's just there. He I mean he could be that old because he's with Galadriel and she is that old. Mm. But again, the thing about him showing up in the Two Towers, they made that up for the movie. That doesn't happen in the books. The the Battle of Helm's Deep is very short. (laughs) But yeah, and he doesn't, he, I mean, he's in, he's in the Fellowship of the Ring when they visit Lothlorien, but he doesn't show up again, Hmm. I don't think. 
And then, as I mentioned, then we've got Numenor in the epilogue. And then, like, another epilogue that is just a quick rundown of the Rings of Power. Speaking of, mm. the the TV series is coming out oh, soon. That's right, the Rings of that's Power. Right. Which funny enough, takes place during the Second Age of Middle-earth, but not on Numenor, because all we get from the Second Age is Numenor mm. in this book. But I'm pretty sure the Tolkien estate has not released this, so oh. they can't do anything in the Silmarillion, oh, which I is see. why they've made up this other... So, like, Galadriel's in it, Elrond's in it, we'll see how it goes. Sauron's in it, we'll see how it goes. I am skeptical yeah but it looks beautiful i think it will be i think it will be a spectacle a spectacle that i am skeptical about skeptical (laughs) spectacle yes so where is morgoth and or who is that i'm very glad you asked that question morgoth is melkor melkor is Morgoth. yes okay and i believe the person who gives him the name of morgoth is feanor the oh, guy who okay. makes the Silmarils, because they're like enemies. Okay. And isn't the Balrog a Balrog of Morgoth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Morgoth he's... creates, created the Balrogs. And you get some Balrogs in the he's, Silmarillion. He's kind of the, he's the OG evil. He's right? the OG evil. Sauron is like his servant. Oh, and Sauron is in Baron and Luthien. Because and... he also is one of the Maiar. Yes. So he is... He and Gandalf and mm-hmm. Galadriel. Galadriel's not a Maiar. She's no. a okay. she's just an elf. But Gandalf is. Gandalf and so is, is Sauron. So is Sauron. So is so are all the wizards, I believe. Even I like think, Radagast and them. I think so. But there's there's definitely a part in the Silmarillion and in I think like the epilogue where they make a point of being like they wanted Gandalf to be the head of the wizards, but he was like, no, I don't want to. I just kind of want to go smoke pot and hang out with <laughs> yeah. these hobbits. Um, so then Sauron, or no, I'm sorry, Saruman mm-hmm. became the head of them and then got corrupted by Sauron. I'm pretty sure they're all Maiar. Okay. Gandalf for sure, but he's supposed to be quite powerful for the Maiar. So yeah, but you get Galadriel, Elrond, Gandalf... I'm trying to remember who else. Do they mention one of the other wizards in Silmarillion, or is that in the books? Mm. Where at one point they're like, "And so and so the blue," or something. It's like in that. the it's in the books. I think I think it's in the epilogue where they talk about the third age, mm. but not but not in depth. Um, the the epilogue about the third age is mostly about Gandalf, mm. Gandalf and Sauron and the Rings of Power, and then the Lord of the Rings being. The, the one paragraph uh, finale to right. to the third age. So yeah, I, but I think I think Galadriel she's she's a big player in the Silmarillion. Elrond shows up at a certain point. He is, I mean, I think yeah he he's a descendant of Baron and Luthien. Mm. Don't think about it too hard. Aragorn and Arwen are definitely related, but like many many hundreds of lines of men. Right. Before Aragorn and then like three to Arwen. So, (laughs) (laughs) so, you know, it's a little weird, but it's not as weird as it could be. Right. It's not like they're cousins. It's like they're 50th cousins or something. Sure. Yeah. Um, Because Elrond's brother. (laughs) I have to get this right. 
Elrond's brother. Is Elros. Okay, sorry. Elros here somewhere now. Somewhere Great else. hero of the first age. Yes, so Erendil, they talk a lot about Erendil in Lord of the Rings. Um, he is, I believe, Baron and Luthien's son. And then his children are Elrond and Elros. Mm. And Elrond, and they basically, they get to choose whether they're elf or mortal. Elrond chooses to be an elf. Elros chooses to be a man. And becomes and he, the first and he, king of Numenor. Exactly. There which you, which just you just read. <laughs> so it's all it's all connected, like, but you're just getting like a lot of lore happening. And, you know, with the exception of, you know, Baron and Luthien and Turin Turambar, and to a certain extent some of the stuff that happens in Gondolin, you don't get a lot of like character work, <laughs> quote unquote. <laughs> There's not like a lot of dialogue in right. in the books. It's very Biblical in that yeah. sense. It's a lot of exposition. It's Begats. Yeah, it's covering a lot of ground. Oh, I forgot another important image. How could I forget? The eagles. Oh. The eagles, yeah. they, they, they're coming in, in the yeah. Silmarillion, too. They're, oh, nice. They always show up. Good. And Manwe, the like Zeus god guy, he is lord of the eagles. Yep. So, um, and the eagle standards are very important as symbols of first the Roman legion mm-hmm. and later the uh, French imperial army. Oh, interesting. Every every unit, uh, like if you beat the French army during the Napoleonic era, it, it was always like, well, how, ma- how many eagles did they get? How many mm-hmm. eagle standards? Because the eagle standard was the pride of the unit. And if you got your eagle standard taken away, that was like the worst thing that could happen to a unit in the French army. Uh-huh. Um, like as a punishment and also in battle and they would like you know they'd fight to the last man to defend the eagle and stuff like that and also you know eagle has landed and is sure sure and um i'm really glad that we got a winston history rant in into this episode no no i mean it because that's a that's another uh, token of this podcast. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've got cuz I don't want to go into too much more detail about um about stuff that happens because cuz we could just get really bogged down. Yeah. Um but yeah, I I I did um <laughs> I'll get, I'll read you some of my disc- some more of my descriptions of these characters. So there's Melkor slash Morgoth, punk ass bastard. Mm-hmm. Feanor Big Ahab vibes. Oh. Um, he definitely, because he's very mono monomaniacal. Is that what it is? Yeah. Um, uh, obsessed. Driven, obsessed by the Silmarils. Myadros, I wrote, misplaced loyalty, should have married me, or at least I thought that when I was 13. Sure. Don't worry. He's not real. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, Luthien, original badass, way cooler than her boyfriend. Uh, Turin is emo boy. And then I wrote Galadriel, Elrond, Gandalf. The gang's all here. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's what I got. Do you have any thoughts? Any questions? Any? No, it just it is an interesting like. It's like a mixtape of what Western, you know, civilization was understood to be at the time. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, by by people who were admirers of it, you know. Right. <laughs> right. Um, there's obviously a lot of racism oh, huge, and yeah. and kind of 
other forms of subtle prejudice. And it's really weird to me that people who get into this and Viking stuff mm. o- often are also racist, where, like, Vikings mm-hmm. really did not care. Yeah. Vikings were like, we're going to take your stuff, and we'll pretty much have babies with anybody. Don't care. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, at one point, Sicily was a Viking kingdom. Very cool. Uh, you know, and it was like, they were like, we're just going to tax everybody who's going to and from the Holy Land and uh, pay your taxes and everyone can chill. Yeah. So, like, you know, it was like the first place a lot of Christians would see a Muslim and be right. like, oh, my God, you don't have horns, you know. Like, <laughs> and, right. And the Normans were just like, yeah, fuck it. We just came here and took shit. And the yeah. people who were here, we were like, you want a farm and we'll take some shit from you? And they're yeah. like, yeah, I guess, okay. Um, but yeah, Vikings—they don't care. Yeah, you know, the, the race is not important when it comes to Viking. Even though, like, maybe they have a thing about blood or whatever, you know, because maybe, the blood of know. Numenor, like, yeah, that's, yeah, there's you know, definitely royal blood being, you know, because and Romans believed in that shit too. That's yeah. like a very ancient thing, like your blood, the just being the descendant of Venus mm-hmm. means that like everyone in that family line has something special about them because right. of the blood, and. Also, I mean, basically, rich people are like that now. Yes. They only want to breed with each other and preserve the special lines. Like the talk about inbreeding. And it's and the other weird thing is like, novo no nouveau riche people immediately become that way as soon as they get really rich. Yeah. Yeah. So like the um, Rockefellers and Carnegies basically only marry each other. So weird. (laughs) And other like, you know, great robber baron families. They're all like cousins, all of them. Yeah. Um, And, Mm. you know, and the same thing with like, Victoria is almost a mythological figure in her own right, just like Queen Elizabeth in Britain. Mm. Oh, okay. I wasn't sure which Victoria you were talking about. All the crowned heads of Europe Mm -hmm. at at the time of World War One were descendants of Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. Every single one. Mm-hmm. Like, they literally wrote, like, while the war was going on, uh, the King of England would be like, Dearest Cousin Willie. Like, and that's a letter to Kaiser Wilhelm. Mm-hmm. And Kaiser Wilhelm and um, Tsar Nicholas were also Cousin Nicky and Cousin Willie. And they all, and mm-hmm. they also were hemophiliacs, not unlike Tsar Nicholas's son, who is um, where Rasputin comes in because Rasputin was the only person who seemingly would could heal the boy. Mostly right. they think now because the um, doctors at the Royal Court of Russia were treating a hemophiliac with blood thinners, like aspirin and shit like that. Mm. And Rasputin was like, stop putting that, med- your modern medicine is poison. And then he would miraculously get better. And it's like, well, yeah, you stopped giving blood thinners to somebody whose yeah. blood doesn't yeah. clot. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay, anyway. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reel this back in towards the Silmarillion, which is related because... Everybody is related in the Silmarillion. It is very much like and the Bible the, too. The important people all kind of come from the same family, yeah. um, and with some except and like the people that come into their family. Yeah, and that's also a big part of Judaism. For sure, like, for sure. You got your Joshua, your Moses. Your, absolutely, you know, absolutely, and your, your you, twelve tribes. You kind of get that a little bit with with this. There's seven sons of Feanor. And once they get to Middle-earth from Valinor, they all kind of break off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And some of them are a little evil. Um, right. There's Caranthir and Curanir, I think. They're, um, which, what was I watching recently where there's a Caranthir? Oh, it's in Witcher. 
they 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 named a character Caranthir in the Witcher Three. Um, and apparently, going back to Elden Ring for a second, sure. To the extent that there is lore, again, it's kind of bare bones. But there's the queen goddess Marika, mm-hmm. and she has twelve children who are demigods each one of which has a fragment of the elden ring mm. that is shattered and that's why the world is so desolate and shitty gotcha gotcha but there's happens. always there's always that tangible object yeah. that people are seeking yeah and the seeds of the erd tree are big th- mm. big deals mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and most of the game is about getting like a slightly better knife you know right. <laughs> on right. your pursuit of a piece of the thing you know for sure it's all very For questy. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, Tolkien. Yeah, I mean, Tolkien stole from a lot of different source materials, and a lot of people then stole from Tolkien. So right. it's I a mean, great, it's a great cycle. <laughs> even the Hebrew Bible is ripping off older shit. Uh, absolutely, like to a certain extent, as long as you're not like totally plagiarizing. Yeah. That's good artists borrow. Yeah. Like good there's, artists. There's two creation myths at the beginning of the Bible. And yeah. the modern scholars, there's the Elohanist, they call them, and mm-hmm. the Yahwist. And the mm-hmm. Yahwist comes way later. Right. And they think that the Yahweh creation story is was written by a Jewish scholar when the Jews were exiled to Babylon. Mm-hmm. And also the Book of Esther is mm-hmm. supposed to be a a refurbished and Judaified version of the Ishtar myth. Mm. Or at least, mm-hmm. like, you know, because the gate of Ishtar were the, these giant blue gates of Babylon. Right, I think you can right. see them in um, the Alexander the Great movie with Colin Farrell. Oh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I never saw it. But Ishtar, is, the Jews were like, all right, Ishtar's cool. We'll take that. Right, And for Marduk, sure. Marduk and Ishtar, and it's Esther and, is it Melchior or Melchizedek? I don't remember. I don't know. I, anyway. I, I don't know. But yeah, you you know, yeah, there's like little seeds from I I would say the strongest the the most prevalent thing that that Tolkien took from the Bible is Melkor very much resembles Lucifer in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's not like a there's not a ton of references to biblical stories. At, at least not that I'm sure biblical scholars could could find some. Um but I find more kind of at least references to or homages to Greek mythology, Norse mythology, especially a lot of that Anglo-Saxon. A lot of that Anglo-Saxon. That was his whole thing. I mean, he was an Anglo-Saxon language expert, so right. um, that's that's his whole. Yeah, a lot of Beowulf going. Yeah, on. yeah, yeah. There's a lot of Beowulf. Um, there's there's some King Arthur kind of Arthurian references nothing nothing like the going on the ship to the yeah i think that's a Isle big of heavenly Arth- paradise i think that's a big arthurian. arthurian yeah um and the grail is sort of the anti one ring yeah right? yeah i think i mean you could write a whole book about yeah. about these things yeah, i mean like but i think he's one of those it's one of those like focal points yeah. in history right like Tolkien gathers all this shit in. Yeah. And then from Tolkien, we have like all of everything fantasy that we know now. All D&D. Yeah. He is, he is Hammer. the the daddy of modern Western right. fantasy for right. sure. So every, you know, all the white 
people fantasy. Yeah, all the white people <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Let's be clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and <laughs> one, one thing specific region. One thing I am I am very happy about in the Rings of Power show is they are finally casting diversely. Um, oh, sweet. Yeah, there's there's a bunch of black actors in the cast and um Yeah, and I we've talked about this before, but to me it was I I had to like double back when mm. I realized that um what's his name? Orlando Bloom. Uh, Legolas. Legolas is a wood elf mm-hmm. because I my introduction to the whole universe is the 70s animated hobbit right, where, right. where the Which wood elves are black. Which is significantly better than the uh the movie, the live action movie oh, yeah. they made. For a fraction of the time commitment. Yeah, but um but yes, yes, I'm not sure. But to me the wood elves were always black. Uh-huh. You know? I don't I, I don't know what went into that decision, but like you know, Tolkien often describes people as like fair, quote unquote. And yes, that can refer to your complexion, but that can also just mean beautiful. So other than that, he doesn't really talk about like skin tone with most characters. So it's a fucking fantasy world cast diversely. Yeah, it's it's 2022 people. Come on. Yeah. I mean, it, well, so so at least that is happening in the Rings of Power. Yeah. I am very, very trepidatious about yeah. everything else about it. <laughs> and, well, and I want to know more about the orcs, man. Like, yeah. tell me about how well, elves so, became orcs. Well, that's in the Silmarillion. I, I know. Morgoth Melkor, did it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But <laughs> Morgoth did it. Morgoth did it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, well, so are the elves like, are the orcs like elves in that they live forever if you don't kill them? That's a really good question. That's never addressed. No, it's I never addressed. Of. I mean, the way the way it happens, at least my understanding of how it happens, is like it's like evolution. Like he enslaves these elves and tortures them for years and years, and over the course of time, they become these creatures. Um, just the the living embodiments of trauma. Yeah, like yeah, that. pretty much. Oh man, I would love to get a little more nuance about orcs. Yeah, yeah. Let's... I want to know where these restaurants were, where meat was on the menu Absolutely. before. Absolutely. My dad, my dad had this had this joke as you know he was forced to watch Lord of the Rings with me many times that he wanted somebody to write what I now know would be called fan fiction um, about. Uh, an orc who was a violist um, because my dad's a violist. So <laughs> the sensitive orc who just wanted to learn to play viola. I love it. I want to write it or somebody else write it or let's do a D&D campaign about it. Nice. But yeah, so here we are at the at the end of a long journey. But Not the end, an end. An end. Uh, it, much like... Much like the Lord of the Rings, we will have many endings. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm trying to think of a wine thing to really wrap this up, and I'm not sure that I can accept that these books, these this this text, this mythology, the movies, have enriched my spiritual life. And I think that my journey with wine has also enriched my life. Um, I often say part of why I love working with wine, it's not just, you know, getting to taste and drink a bunch of wine. It's it helps me understand the world better. Right. And I think these books, when I came across them at a time when 
it was important for me to form some philosophies about the world. Well, and also isn't kind of the point like... There's all this epic shit going on, mm -hmm. but the real heroes are the people who are content yes. to just love the little things. Exactly. We come back Whether to the Whether wine is a part of that yes. or not. Exactly. Know? But wine, wine, yes, we can talk about... But your the, garden in the summer. Yeah. We and, can talk about the Silmarils, the Silmarillion yeah. of wine, which is yeah. the art form and the and the craftsmanship yeah. that goes into it and the beauty that can be wine. But at the end of the day... It's something that you're yeah. supposed to enjoy with other people and have a good time. And uh, as a, a former evangelical Christian, one of the things that is uh, from the Apocrypha, the book of Timothy, if a man be sad, give him wine. Great. Uh, well, not always great no. <laughs> advice. No, but, no. Uh, definitely not. But, um, but I, think, I think the point... I think I want to land on, I think we've pretty much gotten there, is basically we're here. We're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. Yeah. And uh, yeah. touch grass, listen to music, drink wine or yeah. whatever it is. Whatever it is. is. It doesn't have to be wine. It's time, and you know? Exactly. Even and if it's, uh, you know, a boba tea or a chai latte. We did get some boba tea we today. Did. Awesome. And dumplings, they were so good. Oh, um, yes. Anyway. Whatever, whatever that is to you, I hope that you continue to find joy in the little things. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. That was lovely, baby. Yeah, I and think I that am fixing. Yeah, it's so fucking hot so bad. In here. <laughs> Pairing was created, hosted, and produced by Emma Sherjarko with music and audio recording by Winston Shaw and logo artwork by Darcy Zimmerman and Katie Huey. This episode was edited by Emma Sherjarko. Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast, where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com slash merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.